Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Up in the Air with David and Leilani. So we've been recording podcasts all morning, but I think we this will be our fourth one, but we are going to put this one up before the rest. Yeah, a little bit of editing magic. We're going to make it seem like this is the first one that we recorded. Especially with we want to talk about this one because it's at the forefront of everyone's yeah. mind right now. And we just want to make sure that we are being good stewards with what God has given us, what he shared with us, what he's revealed to us. Um, it's a super controversial topic especially within the body of christ and we absolutely hate that um and so we just want to share our hearts and just share what we believe god is saying and what he's doing in, in our nation and through us it's a very difficult subject just really prayed about very strongly you never you never want to answer out of just your gut just kind of fly by the seat of your pants this is something that just is really, really important, deserves that. Yeah, and so as many of you probably already know, we are referring to the racial injustice that is has happened and is continuing to happen in our nation. So we're just going to talk about kind of our, not really our opinion, but our, our mindset, our yeah. thinking when it comes to situations like this, but also like what we really feel is the way forward for us. I personally feel like I've made a very clear stance on where I stand. I'm always coming at it from a perspective of what God has revealed to me and what God has shown me, not necessarily what I've seen on TikTok. It's kind of based on your personal revelation and yeah. understanding of what you feel God is saying. Many of you know this, like a lot of what I do is on social media and last week and and, and the days leading up, it was a really dark place. There was just so much hate, so much like, I mean, I don't even, it was insane. And it was something that no one has ever navigated through before and nobody really knew what to do or say. And, you know, like there was just, it was causing so much division and it still is causing so much division. Even people with relationships. I know somebody told me yesterday, like her in-laws unfollowed her on Instagram because of what, like just for posting that black square and um, like that kind of stuff is happening. And that, that is so like the devil, you know, to use, to use this as a way for families and communities to break apart. It's like a division point when in reality it should bring us together. And it's really been crazy situation because with being with the COVID and everything, Everybody, a lot of people still being stuck at home and also the reliance on personal technology, online media to pass the time. It felt like the entire world witnessed what we saw in a way that we've never experienced it before. Again, we're talking, you know, like the the start to this again for for us, this really kind of ticked onto our radar like this is something that has to happen with the tragedy that happened with Ahmaud Arbery, the young man that was gunned down while he was going out for a jog. And what ended up happening to him is that he's out for a jog and this father and son duo felt in their minds that this was someone that had potentially robbed or broken into some construction homes. And so they stalked him like predators. They stalked him. When they came to him, they had firearms and tragically he lost his life. The part to me is, again, there are hateful and hurtful people out there and they're always out there. But what affected me in that moment was realizing that it took two months for justice to be served for that tragedy. And that was really heartbreaking for me because I realized that unless what happened was that protests began to start up about justice for Ahmaud Arbery. But up until that point, the justice system was slow to move. I'm not you know, doing this to say that anything was whatever. It is what it is. 
But factually what happened was that the prosecutor on the case didn't want anything to do with it. The next prosecutor didn't move forward on it until he was pushed to. And so many people abdicated and absolved their se- themselves from the situation that were leaders, that were people who were supposed to fight for justice, and they just walked away because it was too hard. And that, to me, was something where I was like, okay, something's getting ready to happen. This is not the only thing that's happening. And f- so for me, like, that was my big moment i mean leilani did you watch that video uh no i won't watch any of the i didn't watch any of these videos i won't do it it's so heartbreaking i just know like when my cousin called me and asked me if i had watched my cousin who's super strong um called me and asked me if i had watched the video of george floyd and she was telling me how she was crying as she was watching it she woke up the next day remembering it and crying i just knew that if my cousin who was so strong and you know not very emotional was crying over it then i probably would too and so not saying that i'm you know avoiding the pain or whatever of right. the situation but it was like if i can just already feel it i can already feel the pain that people are going through watching that and i i just for me i just didn't feel like i needed to watch it but you watched it i did I- and it was just tragic. Yeah. And I think, you know, everyone agrees what has happened is tragic. We don't all have to agree on who the person was or what they did. And we don't have to condone um, any of those. But that's not what really we're talking about. We're What we're talking about is what we felt God wanted us, how he wanted us to proceed in the midst of the tragedy, in the midst of this, what would you call it? It is a... It is a national tragedy. It's a national tragedy. Because and it's a tragedy not because of, and again, because of what happened to George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and all of the many people in recent memory that have um, experienced something like this, but it's also a tragedy because it reveals something about us as a nation that is troubling. It's troubling. It is troubling. The argument that I see, you know, of course, all over social media and, you know, not not so much on Instagram, more so on Facebook, just about where people are at and they're comparing the tragedies. They're comparing the white, the black, and, you know, doing the numbers and, and saying, well, the facts say this, the facts say that. And I think this is one of those issues that are not black or white. And as someone who is very black and white, I can agree that there is so much gray area when it comes to what this racial injustice and the issue that that is happening in our country and the media plays into the narrative. The media says things and does things to get people on one side or the other. And they're the ones actually trying to make it black or white. And, you know, I think as the church, (laughs) we have to be really careful about how we say things and how we proceed on what we should say and what we shouldn't say in regards to this issue we have to just be so careful and this is for me is i want to make sure that what i am feeling or what i communicate is not simply talking points right because you're just adding to the noise if you do that it's so many people right now are rehashing talking points that unfortunately they feel are their opinions, but are something that is just... Unfortunately, they're saying like, well, it's scripture and it's this or it's that. And um, everyone's trying to, but they're trying to prove something, you know, and that's 
for me that's where the issue is is like why are you why are we trying to prove something you know someone said like as americans we all agree what has happened is wrong we all agree that these people should be in jail we all agree that this is not something that should happen anymore yet for some reason we bring a different type of argument (laughs) into the mix of it you know and say well this matters that matters you know and that doesn't help the situation you know what i mean and it's it's so interesting because people like fighting for their opinions to be heard when in reality we need a strategy this is something that we really strongly believe in like what leilani had said like we 100 percent are like this has to be where we begin you know our process of learning how to be able to navigate through this stuff and for instance like with the situation with george floyd is that right is right and wrong is wrong for me when i when i watch that video over and over again the reason why i'm watching it is because i'm understanding how many layers they are to what is happening inside of that video when you begin to look at it you realize this is the culmination of decades of situations that have all of a sudden converged where it gets seared into the american consciousness you're just heartbroken and so beyond the act which is horrendous in itself for me i I have to be willing to look and understand the pain of what is happening and what has caused this pain the number one response to something like this again to look away from agendas or whatever yeah that's the thing we need to like like people say well by you saying that you support this terrorist organization you support you know people wanting to defund this and the police that you know what i mean let's yeah let's get into that like because we're seeing a lot of fallout from what's happened so for instance we had the protests and the riots we're all for protests yes don't agree with the riots no we don't agree with anarchy (laughs) we don't agree with anarchy but at the same time we do believe that this is an issue that needs to be addressed and here's the thing is that a lot of times when with me i've watched the video multiple times and one of the things that i started to do was i actually started to listen to what was being said i i started looking at all of the different factors all the different players inside of the video i was looking at not just the cop that had his knee i i was not only just looking at george floyd i was also looking at the police officer that was standing watch preventing other people from intervening and i also was listening to the voices of those that were observing what was happening but felt powerless to be able to intervene i looked at how horrible the situation was and I understood in that moment that things really, they really need to be able to change. But the first step that I at least started to have was I said, okay, the first thing that needs to happen is empathy and compassion. You know, I think the way that, you know, God really revealed it to me is when David and I are ministering in churches and we're prophesying. And and a lot of times God uses me to do a lot of internal healing when I'm prophesying over someone. And as someone like me who is very unemotional, um i looked at the situation and i asked god to reveal to me like like what is my position supposed to be in this in this way and he he showed me that aspect of my life of the internal healing anointing that i carry and so for me understanding okay i come across this understanding that god needs to heal us right and so if i see someone who is hurting 
I'm going to show them the empathy and compassion that God has given me. And, and you know, especially now if you've been listening and you know me, it's not something that comes very easily to me. That's an act of God. That is a gift that God has given me to show empathy and compassion to those who are hurting right now. And I'm not saying that there are not other communities that are hurting. I am not discounting that pain at all. I know that. I know that is a real thing. But right now where I stand and where I have stood is the fact that I have to show my support to the community that is desperately needing God to come in and heal them more than ever. I, I really do have an appreciation for my family and for my parents, you know, just in the way that they raised me. When my parents emigrated from Asia over here and they started having kids, my brother and I, they were getting ready to graduate college. Now, here's the interesting thing. They went to college in the South. So they were surrounded by Caucasian people for the majority of, of that. And and they were experienced and they experienced Southern culture and, and everything. And so in the years as I was growing up, they would always bring me to the South. And I remember that there was this moment inside of uh, when I was younger where I experienced racism being Asian in the South. And that was that was unfortunate, but it really opened my eyes. I, maybe I'll share that another time. But one of the things that I love about my parents now and I appreciate is that they never wanted me to be isolated, insulated inside of my own race and my own culture. So they said if we wanted my our kids to be around Asian people all the time, we would have just stayed in Asia. So what they did was they moved us from Carolina, predominantly Caucasian in our area, to upstate New York, where very few Asians, majority Jewish, Italian, African-American, and Hispanic. All the time growing up, my mom would always put me in situations where I would be the only Asian person in multitudes of different cultures. Latin American culture, African culture, African American culture. I mean, I remember going to my first Caribbean party and, you know, the way of talking was different. The games they played were different. Growing up, I, I've had to understand and enjoy and appreciate the differences amongst every other race and every culture. But one of the things that I was introduced to very early on was because a lot of the people that I hung out with were African American is understanding that my American experience was very different than their American experience. Um, I grew up around the, a city called Newburgh, New York, and it was at the time one of the highest crime rates in New York lot of dilapidated things and everything and I had quite a few friends that were from there listening to their experiences and what they had to endure not years gone by but literally the week before we were hanging out was something that I realized okay my personal experience is only one part of the entire American experience yeah. And, you know, David and I, you know, I'm half Tongan, which is, you know, like Hawaiian and, and half white. And growing up in Hawaii, there's, you know, no such thing as, as racism because there's literally like every representation of every type of race there. And so I didn't grow up either in a very, actually, I think the first time I ever experienced racism was actually when I moved here. Really? Yeah. It was when I, first time I ever like really like it, where it was in my face was actually when I moved here. And I, I didn't grow up experiencing that. And like David said, like our experience of, you know, racism and all of that it is so different than 
in our black brothers and sisters. And, you know, while this, you know, thing was happening and, and, you know, all of these articles and all these things were being published on social media and people were saying things instead of me just going out there and, and voicing my opinion, as I asked David, I said, what's the difference in how you experience racism or how I experience racism versus how an African-American experiences racism? And he brought up a really good point about culture and do you want to share that because that really helped me and I just feel like it because I shared it actually with my eyelash technician the other day and that really helped her too so yeah and she's she's Hispanic so I think this this um this thought can really help a lot of people when I was in Philadelphia ministering at a church over there and um we went out for uh, for cheesesteaks after the close of the conference that I was speaking at and it was a group of young African-American men amazing amazing group of guys and we were sitting there and they began to start basically educating me because I asked about what the African-American experience has been with racism, with all of these different things, the injustice, because I really wanted to know. You know, a few years ago when we did this, I was like, I cannot, I refuse to allow my opinion on this matter only be educated by news articles. Like this gentleman, this young guy actually came to me and he said, this is what makes it very difficult for for many African-Americans is this, is that when other cultures, the reason why it's different is when other cultures experience racism, they still have a heritage and a culture that they can pull on for identity. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, like Irish people, Asian, Chinese people, all of them, they come from somewhere. They come from a country. They can trace back where their ancestors emigrated or migrated over to this country and started their life in America. And then if they really are industrious enough, they can go back and find their ancestors from hundreds of years ago. You can do that. And be accepted. And be accepted. And so when, like, for instance, for me as an Asian person, like, if someone comes at me, and they do, people do this, uh, you know, they come up and they call me a racial slur, and they call me a chink or something like that, or they call me Bruce Lee or Jackie Chan. You know, in the back of my mind, I'm, I'm one, I'm kind of offended, but at the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, but we invented math, you know, like, well, you know. We're whatever smart. <laughs> we're smart, we're smarter like, than you. <laughs> I mean, I come from the biggest, you know, my ancestors come from the biggest country in the world with like the most people, like I'm able to pull on my identity and I'm able to combat people's racism based on what I know, who I am and where I come from. But African-Americans, those that are in the most traditional sense, I'm not talking about uh, Caribbean Americans or, or anything like that where you can trace in recent years, but those that they don't have a culture. They don't. And, and their culture is something that is very shameful. They were rounded up in the most inhumane possible way possible. They were loaded onto slave ships where most of them didn't even make the voyage, where they had to live in their own excrement and be starved only to come to America to be sold on an auction block, to collect a harvest for people who believed that they were property and who endured countless horrendous things. Here's the thing, which is tragic, is that, and this is what the young man kind of told me, he's like, so you, and he like pointed at me, he says, you, you have a culture that you know you come from. We don't have a culture. The only culture that we have is what we've created for ourselves. So when they have to combat racism, 
they're not able to pull on thousands of years of heritage. And this is the sad part, like for me. And and so what it was communicated to me with, with this young man was he said, you know, African-Americans, um, we can only pull back to slavery. And yes, there's this statement that's made that we've descended from kings and we've descended from queens, but there's no way for us to necessarily understand me specifically as a man or a woman was heralded from such and such a place and all of those different things. And on top of that, he said, even where we herald from, they don't like us. And he told me that Africans don't actually like African-Americans in a lot of different situations. And so could you imagine that you are rejected by a nation or by a culture that you, your ancestors did not choose to come to? And then now, all these years later, you are also rejected by the culture that you herald from. And so you're like there. You have nothing. You have nothing. And so now you're talking about a culture that has had to build their identity from the ground up. Not only did they have to build it from the ground up, but they had to literally remove the residue of slavery remove the the trauma remove the pain remove the shame of that i think that's you know for a lot of us we have no idea what that is like no even if we try to understand we can never understand we will never be able to see from their lens because we don't experience it even you know our family is definitely multicultural and yet we still would never understand unless we were them no way there's just no way. And we, tr you know, we can try to, and we can research and we can read, we can watch the movies, we can read the books, the articles and listen, or even listen from their point of view, but we will never feel the depth of the pain that they feel. I will never be able to understand that what happened to Ahmaud Arbery just a few months ago was a regular occurrence in the times of slavery, you know, and it's, it's just one of those things we just don't understand. And so for me, I people fully, just run away when you cough now. Yes, they just that's run away you when got. you cough. I'm like, okay, yeah. You so know. really, you're, you, that's protecting you it's from protecting people coming you. near you. <laughs> exactly. But here's the thing: is this is one statement that I have heard thrown around a lot has been about how well African Americans need to stop being a victim, and I I understand that concept because for me, I say that about myself all the time. I cannot be a victim. I need to choose to rise up and all of those th those things. But I believe that oftentimes that statement is made without an appreciation or understanding of what it took for the African-American community to get to where it was. Because, like, I don't know. There is not only the what happened, the natural physical scars of what happened, but there is a generational trauma that comes yes. through. And I think that's kind of an issue that a lot of people are having, too, is they are not they are not recognizing that is it is a generational trauma. And so they're brushing over it. They're being sarcastic about it. They're saying it's ridiculous. And when in reality, I mean, you shared a really good, you know, scripture about, was it David or Daniel you'd shared about, um, like as a prophet, like what our responsibility is when there are sins of the people. Oh man. Okay. So we were watching, um, this video by Dr. Joseph Garlington and this, this preacher is amazing. I, I love his message. He's so profound, but what he was talking about was, um, 
you know, because right now what's going on is a lot of people are like, well, I didn't, I'm not racist. I haven't done this and I haven't done that. And I didn't enslave anybody. And, and so I, why am I supposed to have to repent or, or apologize for something that I didn't do, you know? And, um, one of the things that was interesting about this is, um, again, this comes from like the victim statement where they say, well, African-Americans shouldn't be victims. You know, that's a victim mentality. You shouldn't, you should have gotten over it. Uh, I wholeheartedly disagree with that. But Joseph Garlington was talking about the abdication of personal responsibility where, because it didn't, you weren't directly involved in what happened because, um, you were somehow you're not racist. And so hence you don't have to do anything right now. He talks about this one story in uh, about the life of King David, where Israel goes through three years of famine, like three years of famine. And so God go, David goes to God and is like, God, why is this happening? And God responds to David and says, the reason why this is happening is because of a sin that Saul committed all these many years ago. So wait a second. You mean that David and the entire nation of Israel are paying the price for something that they didn't even do? It was something that Saul did before David ever became king. Saul did this. Before David ever came on the scene, this man did this. And yet it's now entered, and he puts it this way, it's now entered into King David's world. So there are things that have happened in the past that we may not have been directly responsible for, but God will bring and allow an awareness to come to those things, not to punish people, not to punish us, not to cause more shame to happen, but so that we can be willing to take up the mantle saying, you know what? I didn't cause this, but I will shoulder the responsibility and I will be an instrument of restoration. And that's kind of, I know a lot of people are probably going to disagree with us and that's okay. But, um, that's kind of, you know, the position that you and I have taken in, in what our response should be and would be. And I know like people are going to argue back and my whole outlook is, is what's the harm? Yeah. (laughs) You know, who am I hurting by, by, you know, repenting or, or saying that I'm in support of this. Like, what is the harm being done? We had these dear friends of ours um, who were part of the Carolina prayer um, protest restoration thing. That, yeah, it just That you happened. probably saw on TMZ. Yeah, TMZ, Daily Mail picked it Daily up. Daily Mail a, picked a it up. A couple of different, um, it, was, it was beautiful. I, I shared it on my Facebook. Yeah, where um, white leaders uh, washed the feet of African-American leaders. And it's a beautiful thing. I mean, we love all the people involved in that. But when they posted the video, they, I was reading through the, or you read the, this comment by someone who was like, this is un, what was it? Unsanctified repentance. Yeah, something like that. And you knew that the inference was, well, we've already repented once. We don't have to do this again. What's the point? This is unsanctified. Or like, we didn't do this or, you know. Right. And back to your statement, what is the harm in showing your place of, wanting to restore because it's not necessarily a demonstration for for you and that individual it's it's a really what it is when i translate it it's a cry to god saying god heal us heal the trauma of our nation heal the trauma that has taken place um to your people because we are all god's people we understand that concept and so 
to me, when I see, you know, all of the arguments, all of it, I've read all of the sides. Trust me, I have read the arguments. I understand and respect every argument that is out there. However, I am only going to side with the, with what I feel that God is speaking to me in this, in this area. And, and God has been very clear with me. And I already shared it earlier on the position that I'm supposed to take is that there needs to be a healing that takes place in our nation and takes place in our church. So healing doesn't mean that I'm going to go out and on Facebook and give my opinion about why this life matters and that life matters. That's not, to me, that does the opposite of healing. It is. And again, at this point, our perspective is that the way forward is empathy and compassion. It's not arguing. No. And it's not getting your point across. People don't really care about what you say until they know about how much you care. And I mean, I'm just saying, like, we have to be willing to be that one that can walk in empathy that can understand you know like my heart was super heavy last week and i you know we had that whole blackout tuesday on social media and so um, tell them like what that is some blackout tuesday um but basically what it is is it was a movement to amplify melanated voices where um a lot of content creators and influencers were choosing not to post because they wanted to make sure that everyone received the education and knowledge and just allowed um our black brothers and sisters to have that platform um for the time and i was discouraged because um there's a lot of influencers who are getting attacked for not speaking up sooner not saying the right thing it was definitely a no one can win and but it wasn't like it wasn't really anything anyone can win and there was a lot of keyboard warriors arguing with people and you know of course giving their opinions and it just became really toxic and you know my heart was very heavy because you know my social media account is basically fashion and beauty and it would be so insensitive of me to come on and post something about fashion and beauty without bringing awareness or acknowledging what's taking place in our nation. And like, I really prayed about it, really seeked God, God's voice on what it is I'm supposed, was supposed to say after Blackout Tuesday. And I was talking with my friends and I shared with them a story about Levi. And so Levi, he's, he's about going to be eight in September, but about two years ago, he was five. We were watching Netflix. He was like super into like those baking shows. And, um, he were sitting on the bed watching and this, one of the contestants was, um, there was two contestants. It was a very thin, um, white woman who was, who was beautiful. And then there was a very, um, uh, larger black woman, also very beautiful. And my son at, he's five. Like I said, he was five at the time when the black woman comes on the screen. He was like, Oh my gosh, mom. Like, I don't think I've ever seen him like this. Like he's he was pretty, lit. He was lit about this. He was like, mommy, look at her. She's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen, you know? And for me, I was like really proud of my son who is very Caucasian. I mean, he used to have long blonde hair. He, he had, um, his hair got darker as he got older, but green eyes. Uh, there is no ounce of Polynesian in him. You mm-hmm. could never tell that he's a quarter Tongan. And I remember like, I was just so proud of my son for thinking that she was so beautiful, 
you know, and thinking that he didn't have any type of prejudice or even that, you know, they say like young people don't see color and that, you know, they don't do that. And that, you know, that was true. And I thought, wow, like my son's a good human being. (laughs) Like (laughs) I don't have to teach him about like racism or being prejudiced because he doesn't even see that he thinks this woman is so beautiful. Right. And then after, you know, everything took place, I was like, no, that's actually not true. Like I have to teach my son how, about how some people, even all these years later, still hate our black brothers and sisters. And even though he's young and that's maybe not a concept he understands, I just still felt like that was my responsibility as a mom to show him that, Yeah, you know what I mean? And I, I just, you know, further on as I was, you know, sharing the story about my son, I said, you know, I, we always tell Levi, like, we know you're going to marry a black woman. Like, you know, cause that for some reason he like really loves them he does. <laughs> and they love him. I think they love to feed him cause he's so skinny. Yes. Um, and so we always tell him he's going to marry a black woman. And I thought about like, if he were to marry a black woman and he brought her home, like what, what kind of questions would she ask him about his family? You know what I mean? Of course, like you know, we're multi-ethnic and and all of this stuff, but I'm not black. You're not black. And, um, what would I, what, how would I want her to feel coming into this family? And so I was like, okay, well you like, I have to teach my son about racial injustice and what his part to play is what he's supposed to do and what I'm supposed to do, um, in the midst of this movement. Yeah. And I a hundred percent agree because it's, it's not just, a hashtag like we were at a we were at a protest yes we were at a pro we we did we protested this past week and we went out there and in the rain in the rain and what you wrote you made a sign and it said that it's this This is is more than just a hashtag this is more than just a trending hashtag you know and and it's so important like even from an educational perspective like so Leilani, I usually have Leilani handle all the hard conversations with the kids because she's just really, really good at it. You know, I'm like the empathetic, loving one that like has fun. But we have made a commitment to really educate our children. This is not to put shame on our children. This is not to do anything like that. This is simply an awareness because when you have an awareness, you're able to be sensitive and understand people's pain. And that really does change the way you approach situations. It lets you have the care and the tenderness you need in order to be able to to help move things forward, you know? So here's the thing is like, again, I feel like I said it like a dozen times. It's the empathy and the compassion part. I'm just really disheartened at times and I'm, I'm very saddened when I see people withholding compassion and empathy because they don't want to be, want it to be perceived in a way that either makes them look like they're, on one side or the yeah, other. Yeah, on one side or the other or complicit for anything. And my thing is that compassion and empathy doesn't require conditions. You shouldn't have conditions on that. If you see pain, you should be willing to empathize with the pain so that you can become a member of the person that is trustworthy of helping bring healing. But you can't. Well, and that's what I think. I I firmly believe that right now in in where we're at, if we show that compassion and empathy, it's going to be healing. And even if you read the article that TMZ wrote, TMZ, who was a gossip web celebrity gossip website or news channel or whatever they are, 
literally in the article said this is so christ-like and it was beautiful to see so imagine so here's the thing is i you know the media plays into the narrative of of the church hates this and hates that and the church is prejudiced and all this and yet when we show things like that like look at what they're saying now wow that is so christ-like that is that is, it was so beautiful to see and for me as a christian as as a member of the body of christ that's what i want the media to say about me yes that is that is leading through action not through the absence of your voice yes and so like and this is one thing you know watching that demonstration of the foot washing was just so healing for me but this is where i knew that we had to really take a hard look in the mirror even as the body of christ you know i don't i'm not trying to speak on behalf of the body of christ at all but i am saying that i observe some things where we really do lack a tremendous amount of empathy and compassion. Because there was this article that I was like, man, I was so disheartened by. It was this article by Christianity Today. And it was talking about the Christian faith-based roots of George Floyd. And on the surface, you look at it and you're like, oh, well, that's good to know. You know, it's good to know that he was trying to put his life together and um, that he was a, a strong proponent in bringing churches into the community that he used to live in and that he vouched for church leaders uh, on behalf of certain uh gangs and situations in the inner city where uh, his vouching for them let them be able to come in and minister to people. That's really good. And then I realized something is I realized how that article really was very interesting because when you read through the comments of that article, you began to realize, oh my gosh, this article about his Christian roots changed many Christians' perspective on who George Floyd was. But even further than that, it also changed their response to his death. Think about that for a moment. When you look through those comments, they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know about this. I didn't know that he was a Christian or, and all of these different things. I, we need to do something. We need to do something. And then I realized some Christians out there only cared about George Floyd when they realized that maybe he was a Christian. And then their opinion changed again. Their opinion changed again. When a different video came out about him and his past and, and things that he's gone through. And it's just when we, you know, kind of, I don't know if we talked about in this episode or we talk, we're talking about in another about opinion is we allow what other people are saying to shape our opinion. Yeah. And how we choose to move on behalf of what's happening in our nation and happening in our culture. And, um, you know, as Christians, as prophetic voices for David and I is, yes, we watched all videos. Yes, we read all the articles. Yes. You know, yes, we've done all the research. But at the end of the day, where we stood never came from that, but it literally came from what we felt and what we heard God speaking to us on how we are supposed to handle this and how we're supposed to proceed. Where's the heart of the and Father in this? How do yeah. we partner with that heart? And um, yeah, and that's what we've done is we've we protested. We did. We've, we fight. And it was beautiful. It was beautiful. We supported the protests, you know, uh, with our time, with our finances, everything. And at the same time, it's also caused us to be thinking about how do we take it from beyond protests to now actually being a light and being able to help change things. You know, like, I was like, even like, I was just thinking about it. I was like, Leilani, I might, I should go back to college. 
Like I should go back to college, get a political science degree so that maybe I can start changing things on a legislative level. You know, it's just for us, we're, we're not stopping on, oh, wasn't this horrible and we're empathizing. No, now from that place of empathy, what can we do to positively change things? It's just one of those things. This is just a, a really tragic thing. It's really tragic and unfortunately it has revealed the heart of a lot of different people and in a lot of the areas where, where we definitely need a lot of grace in. And, yeah. you know, that's another important thing is just because somebody has a different outlook or, or they, they view it a different way doesn't mean that we should reject or disassociate ourselves no. with them is that we really need to allow the grace of God to come upon us in this season and in this time that we're dealing with and, and to navigate this with wisdom. Yes. You know, navigate it with wisdom, navigate it with the heart of God, because even if someone says something that you disagree with, they're still your brother and sister. They're still a child of God. God loves them just as much as he loves you. Um, there's no change in that. And um, I just, you know, I'm agreeing, you know, kind of with what our friends over in North Carolina have been sharing is that there's going to be an outpouring um, begin to happen. And that is something that I want to see take place in our nation. That's something that I want to see take place in um inside of our church and inside of our lives and and i think that is something that every single one of us can agree on yes you know i just want to say like i mean we've been we're dedicating on purpose more time on this episode than we normally do because it deserves that it does it deserves that and and it's so complex we've only scratched the surface and we could probably go on and on oh, forever man. about it we could go on forever i i just that's the key part is that we are looking for ways to actively contribute. We're moving with empathy and compassion and we're not waiting for the big things. We're waiting, we're doing it in the small ways as best as we can. But, you know, I think if if you're following Leilani on her Instagram and you've been following some of our things, you'll notice that we make very clear the statement that black lives matter. Black lives matter. They do. And I am not going to back away from that statement. Now, for those of you, I understand you guys are already pulling out your Wikipedias. I know some of you guys are pulling up your Sean Hannity, Mark your Levin. Your website, the, the website, because there's not yeah, the actual organization. Yeah, so you're pulling up the Fox News article that, that we read. And, I, and again, I'm not, I don't care if that's what you feel, if you feel a certain way about black lives mattering. I don't, I don't, at the end of the day, I can only handle myself. But I will just tell you that I know all about Black Lives Matter, the organization, okay? With the situation that happened with Trayvon Martin and everything that happened, I read the same articles. I know the, the radical dimension, uh, this radical group that has attached itself to the statement Black Lives Matter. I understand that. I've read it. I know what their platform is. I know what they stand for. But it does not change the fact that I believe that black lives matter. So the statement itself, black lives matter. I stand with the statement, yes, black lives stand matter. With that. And here is my thing. And we are not discounting any other lives. Everyone's already no. seen it. And there's amazing people who make this really, really good point about um, the statement that black lives matter. It's not saying that all lives don't matter. They do. But right now, this is these are the lives that are currently in the center of American consciousness that are in pain, that we need to emphasize they matter. And so that way we can start a conversation about how we can show in action that their lives do matter. But here's the thing is that black lives matter. And I'm going to be very strong about this point because I've been talked to and I've been talked at saying, well, you shouldn't say black lives matter because it means that you support that organization and what they stand for. 
And I'm going to call foul on that because here's the thing is I refuse to have any organization hijack words that are exactly what I mean. You can try to take, you know, certain things and make them mean a certain way, but I am not going to run away from the fact that black lives matter. So someone can come in and try to make it seem something else. They can tie it to their organization and what they stand for, but I'm not going anywhere from my stance on that statement. I refuse to leave. And, and so I just think that we need to have more courage than that. We do. We have to be more concerned about the heart behind what that statement means over any organization that tries to attach itself to it because black lives matter. They do. And, you know, we just, again, be careful with the things that we say. Be careful with the things that that you're probably going to think that I'm being a hypocrite for saying that because we're not being careful. Um, but this is our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, you know, um, but we are... F- I, I I made the statement the very first day is that they're hurting and I'm not saying that nobody else is hurting. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that they are hurting. And if you know anything about Jesus, you know, anything about God and how he, how he has played out throughout history, he always goes after those who are marginalized every single time he seeks out the one. And right now in our history, they are the one they are the one and you may disagree with me you may not disagree with me um but that's besides the point the 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 point that we're trying to make here is to lead with empathy and compassion and to make sure that where you're coming from is exactly where you feel the heart of god is moving towards and god's heart for us is always good he is oh you know he's leading us with compassion in this in this day and age we're seeing that taking place we're seeing how powerful the healing movement is when we take that approach because it does nothing to us when we come and attack and say this and that and this article said this and you're being a victim them and you know that does the opposite of healing you know and um we appreciate you guys for listening (laughs) this you know this this whole time you know i know that it's a difficult topic for a lot of people and it's not easy to come out and say it but i mean i will argue with someone all day if i have to i don't want to so please do not send me a dm telling me why i'm wrong i will probably not reply to you um but i just want you guys to know you know we just want you guys to know what how we feel god is yeah is telling us to respond yeah because we don't want there to be any question um but we want to we want to just be very very clear that we are on the side of justice we're on the side of compassion and empathy always and we're also on the side of taking action in ways that move us forward i'm going to close it with this because um i don't know if you saw jerry webb shared this so jerry you're probably listening you're we love you but it like it to me it was like really powerful so i'm going to share what he said on facebook the other day it says many people want a burning bush experience but if burning cities don't wake you up a bush won't either oh man that is the truth so i think we'll just leave you with that we'll leave you with that (laughs) We love you guys. We'll talk to you later.